have a distinct memory of Liz, my junior year at FC. We're going to spring banquet. It's a, it's a big deal. I mean, she is decked out in this, this beautiful floor-length dress. I'm wearing my nicest suit. And we roll up to the valet parking in this place in my 97 red blazer with a green bumper. And, uh, you know, there's something about that. It's just like this, this, this isn't quite right, okay? <laughs> you, you don't, you know, most times, you know, like in the movies, you know, they, they drive up to the, to the valet park and they're like, hey, don't, don't scratch it. And I'm like, man, try to be gentle with the mirror. It might fall off. So <laughs> there are times in life where there's a strong uh, distinction between uh, the vessel and the task it has been uh, tasked with. Uh, there's a strong distinction between uh, the, the glory of this car and like all the, the, you know, the stuff that we've done to get ready to be really fancy for this fancy event. And there's a passage in the New Testament in 2 Corinthians that's kind of like that. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, or 2 Corinthians chapter 4, sorry. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, in verse 7, Paul says, 2 Corinthians 4 verse 7, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. And so we have this text about this amazing treasure that is in a regular old clay pot. And over the next two weeks, this week and next week, I want to be talking about this middle section of 2 Corinthians, starting in the end of chapter 2 and going through the beginning of chapter 7. Uh, And I'm going to approach it from two points, and it's going to be pretty simple, the treasure and the clay. And this week, we're going to be talking about the treasure. So I want to talk about, and I'll give you just a a broad overview of what we're going to say, and then we'll we'll dive into our text. So effectively, Paul says, we have this amazing treasure, uh, and it is either the the gospel which he has been given, the the ministry of reconciliation, the ministry of the Spirit, uh, this message to share, or the effects of said message on the people. Uh, But in either sense, we've got this amazing gospel, and it is awesome. It gives boldness. It's it's incredible. It's a wonderful, eternal treasure that uh, is full of glory, surpasses in glory everything. And it makes demands of us in our life. Because we have this treasure, we have to live a changed life. That's what we're going to say today. But also, we are mortal. Uh, we are buffeted and beaten, and we go through all kinds of persecutions. We have like 70 years in this life, and so we are uh, just a, a clay jar. We're not that impressive. And so uh, we have this distinction, uh, uh, amazing treasure and a jar of clay, and these jars of clay longing for it to be swallowed up in life and eternity. And so that's what we're going to be talking about next week, but this week we're talking about this treasure. And so I want to talk about this treasure, and then, again, the demands that it makes on our life. And so, to do that, let's begin in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. 2 Corinthians 2, verse 14. Paul says, But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession, and through us spreads the, the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death, and to the other, a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for for these things? And so 
Paul, he takes this image of a Roman triumph that we've got. Uh, the, the, it's kind of a, a Roman victory parade that we have the victor in battle. He's walking through the streets and Jesus, he's the victor. He's at the head. And we are following him, the slaves, the captives of war, but we are also this aroma. Uh, And so part of a Roman triumph is that they would uh, make all these sacrifices to Jupiter, and so the air would be full of the, the smell of sacrifices. And to some people in the audience, it's a smell of victory. And to some people, it's the smell of defeat. And so Paul says, that's what we are. We are the aroma. We are spreading around this message of Christ's victory. And some people are going to really respond well to it, and some people are not. Life to life, death to death. But he says, who is sufficient for these things? That's how he ends verse 16. It's a big deal to carry around this message, to be the aroma of Christ. He says, who is sufficient for these things? And then in chapter 3, starting in verse 4, he says, such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. He says our sufficiency, it doesn't come from us. Uh, We're clay pots, uh, we'll get to next week. But God has made us sufficient. He has given us this ministry, this new covenant to share around that is a, it's written with, in letters of the spirit, not in, you know, letters on stone. And he's going to make a distinction here in chapter three between this new ministry that he has in Christ, in the spirit, versus the ministry that Paul had, or that, that, that Moses had. And so, I want to take just a a step back and get a a bird's eye view of 2 Corinthians real quick. uh, And then we can plug back into where we're we're going with this. So 2 Corinthians is written to a people in Corinth. And there have been some some major problems in Corinth, lots of problems. But the the foundational problem of all the problems in Corinth is that they don't properly understand the cross and the implications of it for their lives. That Jesus came, he died on a cross, he died what is to the world a fool's death, uh, uh, the most humiliating of deaths. And Paul is a living embodiment of that life. That Paul is constantly being persecuted. And to these people who are steeped in a world where philosophy is supposed to help you live the good life, they look at Paul and they're like, why should we listen to him? He's living, you know, he's beaten and and buffeted and shipwrecked and all of these terrible things are happening to Paul. Why would we be listening to him? And so these fancy, big televangelist type people, they come around and they're like, oh, that's the people we should be listening to. And so Paul needs to help them understand that uh, the message of Christ is a message of of suffering, a message of difficulty, that it's not going to look like uh, the good life from earthly views. But it is a message of great spiritual life. And so with that, Paul says, I've been given this incredible ministry, and you can see it in yourselves. Beginning in verse uh, 1 of chapter 3. He says, are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? 
You yourselves are our letter of recommendation, written on our hearts to be known and read by all. He says, you're asking me for letters of recommendation. You know, what are your qualifications for, for teaching us, for being, he's like, listen, it's you. Look at the work that God has done through me in you, and you can tell. You don't need letters of recommendation. He says in verse three, and you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human heart. He says, you guys are spiritual people. You've got, you're, you're, you're a mess. There's a lot of things wrong with you, but deep down, God is working with his spirit in you to transform you. And the fact that that is happening is a testament to the work that God is doing through me. He says, you guys are living embodiments of this new type of spirit, this new covenant, the new ministry, this ministry of reconciliation that Paul is carrying around. And there are going to be three Old Testament passages that are really important. Two of them I'm going to show you right now, and one of them I'm going to show you here in a little bit for understanding the rest of what Paul is going to say here. The first is Ezekiel chapter 36. He says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. We talked about this passage, I don't know, two uh, months ago or so. That contextually, Ezekiel has said, listen, you guys have shown yourselves constantly to be incapable of choosing life, incapable of following God's laws. And so God steps in, he gives them his spirit so that they are able to walk in uh, his rules, that God's putting his spirit, God giving them new life is, uh, is a, a stark difference between the old covenant and the new covenant, that finally we have the presence of the spirit and that changes everything. Additionally, Jeremiah 31, he says, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I'll make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Not like Moses, who had the laws written on stone, but laws written on human hearts, which is exactly what we see back in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 3. Uh, you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. So like, okay, now we understand the flow of where Paul is going. And so then Paul is going to make this argument. He's going to say, I am going to speak to you guys with boldness or a frankness might be a better uh, translation of the idea. I'm going to be honest with you guys. I'm going to be upfront. I'm not hiding anything. And the reason I can do that, the reason I can, I can come out and speak honestly and truthfully with you guys is because I have a different ministry from Moses. Uh, or at least it, it's, it's better in, in that you guys have the spirit. The spirit has now been revealed. That's the, that's the, the stark difference, the presence of the spirit. He says, I can talk to you guys because I got nothing to hide. Moses, he had things to hide, that the, 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 his ministry was coming to an end, that it was, uh, in, it, it was not as the glory, it was not as glorious as the, the ministry I'm gonna, that I have, that I am revealing to you. But now because we have this new covenant, this new spirit, now things are different. And now I can speak to you guys openly and clearly. I'm not going to hide anything from you. So 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 7, he says, now if the ministry of death carved in letters on stone, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of the glory which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? 
For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. So Paul says, he he starts out by calling the old law a ministry of death, which is a little bit harsh, I have to say. But ultimately what he's trying to say is, listen, the old law was glorious. And he's not trying to take away any of the glory of the Old Testament. In fact, he's going to build on that. The fact that God came with shining brilliance on Sinai and that it affected Moses and shone from Moses' face to the people and it was, was terrifying and awesome and glorious. Like, you guys remember that. But he says this ministry that was so glorious, the most glorious thing that is probably uh, you can even remember, even this ministry with all of its glory, it was a ministry of death. It was a, a covenant that only showed us what God wanted us to not do, you know? He says, hey, here's all the things to do. Here's all the things to not do. Good luck, basically. That this lie couldn't give life. It could only show you condemnation. It could only show you that you were in sin and that you needed help. But he says, now I've got a different ministry. This ministry is not like the previous one because now the Spirit is here. Now the Spirit can work in your hearts, and now we have a new ministry, a ministry of life, a ministry of the Spirit, a ministry of reconciliation. And this new ministry, which Paul has, and we all, as people sharing the gospel of God, are, are sharing in this world, this new ministry is even more glorious than the previous one, because this ministry can do what the previous ministry could never do, it could give life. And so if that one was glorious, so glorious that they had to hide their faces from it, imagine now even more glorious is this new ministry. Verse 10, indeed in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will that which is permanent have glory. You know, a flashlight in midday doesn't do much. But in the middle of the night, it's helpful. We have temporary lights because we need them in temporary times. But eventually, it becomes light and your batteries die in your flashlight. And you you recognize that you need something more eternal than just this flashlight. And in the same way, there was glory in the Old Covenant. But now... The time has come where the old covenant is is not useful anymore. Now we have a greater light. Now we have an even more glorious thing. And what was temporary has passed away. And we have an even more glorious covenant. That's what Paul is sharing. This is the message of the gospel. And so he says in verse 12, Since we have such hope, we are very bold. Not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. Here's where we bring in our our third passage. It says, and this is a shorter excerpt of a longer section uh, from Exodus 34. But whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the people of Israel what he was commanded, the people of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face was shining. And Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went in to speak with him. And so we have this story in Exodus 34 about Moses receiving teachings from God. And then Moses would, his face would be shining because he'd been in contact with, with God, with Jesus, with the Lord. And then he would come out, he would speak to the people, they would see his shining face, it would be terrifying. And then when he was done talking to them, he'd put a veil over his face. Now Moses, or uh, Paul says in verse 13 that the reason for this was so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. Uh, now, um, I got to be honest with you, this text 
confuses me in many ways. I, I think it's hard, in fact, maybe impossible to have an exact understanding of what this, what this exactly means. But here's what I do know. I know that there was something about the Old Covenant that the people were not able to see God's glory indefinitely. Either they were not able to see the end, meaning um, that the, the waning of the light, they were not able to see that, and that's why Moses covered his face. He didn't want to see them that it was a temporary glory uh, showing a temporary covenant. Or they, he, they weren't able to see it to the end in that they couldn't indefinitely look on the light of God that Moses had to hide his face because the people were unclean because of the hardness of hearts. Uh, there it says in verse 14. So either way, what we understand is that Moses' covenant, Moses brought a covenant that had something that needed to be hidden, uh, either because the people were not able to receive it or because it was coming to an end. Either way, they couldn't gaze forever on God's glory in the old covenant, that there was something temporary about the revelation of God's glory in the old covenant. But Paul says, I don't have anything to hide. I don't need to put a veil over my face because I don't have a ministry that's temporary. I have a ministry that is eternal. And I don't have a ministry that brings death. I have a ministry that brings life. So I can speak to you guys freely because I'm, I'm carrying a different kind of ministry, a better ministry, a ministry of life. And so Paul says, I don't have to hide my face like Moses. He says, verse 14, their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the old covenant, the same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. So Paul's saying this isn't just an Old Testament problem, that they, they were veiled from the presence of God, that even now, when people read the old law, that this same veil remains, that there is something keeping them from seeing, from looking on God's glory eternally uh, forever, and that is uh, this veil, that is their, the hardness of hearts, their... Um, Minds being hardened, that because they are, think back to Ezekiel 36, because they have stone, stone hearts that God needs to remove and unwilling spirits that God needs to purge, they're not able to see indefinitely God's glory. But, verse 16, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. That when we turn to the Lord, when we receive the Spirit, we'll see in, in the next few verses, then... We are able then to look into the presence of God. We are able to see his glory, and that in a much more amazing way than ever before. Verse 17, now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, not just Paul, but we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed in the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the spirit. Paul is saying that now we all are able to come before God with unveiled face, to look on his presence just as Moses' face shone, so we all can begin to reflect the glory of God. And this comes when we turn to the Lord. This comes because the Lord is the Spirit, and the Spirit is in us, transforming us, making us into the image of God, helping us to be what we need to be. And so we have this amazing ministry. Paul says this is the treasure. And like I said, whether the treasure is the ministry or whether the treasure is the results of the ministry in our lives, either way, we have an incredible, amazing treasure. This ministry of reconciliation and its effects on our lives. 
And so we need to recognize that this isn't just Paul's ministry, but in some ways it's all of us, that we all have been transformed by the glory of God, and we are all able to reflect Jesus' glory through our unveiled faces so that the world can see God living in us and can see the life that this new ministry brings and the life that it has brought in us. And so then, we have this treasure But the treasure demands something from us, that this treasure, this ministry of reconciliation makes certain demands of us. And the first of them we've already talked about, and that is boldness, that now that we have this better ministry, we have uh, a great amount of boldness that we can speak, frankly, because we got nothing to hide. This is a ministry that brings life, and it's very exciting, and we can share it with boldness. Uh, But I have four Ps. I tried to make five Ps, so I put, put boldness, which... That doesn't count. I will say that the Greek word for boldness, parousia, does start with a P. So I don't know, partial credit, but four actual Ps now. The second thing that we need is that that it demands from us is perspective. And this we will find in chapter uh, 5. In chapter 5, starting in verse 12. Paul says, We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sakes died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. That we've got these, uh, these false teachers, these super apostles, as Paul calls them, uh, kind of mockingly. Uh, and you guys are judging them according to the flesh. You're, you're making fleshly judgments. You're looking, uh, Jacob's going to talk about this in the main hour, uh, not as God sees, but with man's eyes. He says, this new ministry, this new change in your heart, the spirit of God in you, it's going to change you. And you're going to begin to see things as God sees them because that's the result of the ministry. You're not going to behold things as the world sees them, but you're going to see them as God sees. And that's important because... To the world, a successful life, a good life, might be lots of money or lots of cars or, uh, you know, whatever uh, we think is good. But we recognize, looking through God's eyes, that Paul is living the best possible life. Because if the, the purpose of life is to glorify God and carry the gospel out, then Paul, with his constant shipwrecks and beatings, that's the life that we want to live because God is being glorified in the life of Paul. And so We need to be able to see with new eyes a new perspective on life, and that is what the ministry demands. Second, or third, it requires perseverance. And Paul, he's going to talk about all kinds of difficulties that come from being a a disciple of God. Uh, We could look in chapter 1. We'll start in chapter 6, actually, though. Uh, Chapter 6, he says in verse 4, But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance, in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, 
uh, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love by truthful speech and the power of God with weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise. We are treated as imposters yet true, as unknown yet well-known, as dying and behold we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. He says also in chapter four, right after he talks about we have this treasure in jars of clay. Verse 8 of chapter 4. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may be manifest in our bodies. So uh, he goes on, he talks about, uh, his constant, he's constantly dying with Christ. But he says, listen, we, we go through a lot as Christians. We're going to go through persecution. But he says, to sum it all up in verse 16 of chapter 4, So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Again, like our previous point, Paul's going through a lot of suffering, but because of his new perspective, it gives him perseverance because he can, he can press on and go through all these things because he understands that this life isn't all there is. He's longing to be swallowed up by life. He's longing for something eternal. And that perspective gives him the endurance that he needs to press through any sort of challenges. And the same is true for us, that if we're going to serve God, it's going to be difficult and we're going to encounter challenges. But if we have this perspective, this hope that comes through the gospel, then we can press through anything. Uh, fourth, this new ministry demands proclamation. Paul says that uh, as a result of this, verse uh, chapter 5, verse 11, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. He says, because we know the fear of the Lord, because we've learned this, these things, we got to share it with you. Uh, also, chapter 5, verse 17. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. This is what he's been saying so far. All of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That in Christ, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespass against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Working together with him, then, we appeal to you to receive the grace of God, to not, not receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time, I listened to you, and in a day of salvation, I helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. He's saying God is proclaiming to you a message through us. And this message which we have been given requires us to share it, to tell you about it. Now is a favorable time. Now is a time of reconciliation. No, don't receive this grace in vain. We got to share it with people. You know, if, we, if you're if you know a doctor that can help someone who has a terminal disease in your life, then you're not a good friend to that person if you're not telling them, hey, here's how you get the help that you need. In the same way, we have this amazing message of reconciliation that demands to be shared and told because there are lots of lost souls out there that need this message. And so this uh, ministry of reconciliation, this treasure demands from us proclamation. And finally, it demands purity. 
Paul says in chapter, really in chapter 2, verse 17, um, we are not, like so many, peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. Paul says there are people out there, they're peddling the word of God, that's not us. He says in chapter 4, verse 1, therefore having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced disgraceful and underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by open statement of truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. He says in chapter 6, which we've already read some of, uh, verse 3, We put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance and afflictions, hardships, calamities. We read a lot of this verse 11. Uh, but we spoke freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but we are restricted in your own. But you are restricted in your own affections. In return, I speak as children. Widen your hearts also. Paul says there are people out there, and they're taking the word of God and they're using it for their own gain. They're peddling it. They're doing it really badly. He says, but we have this amazing ministry. And it demands a purity from us. Because if we take this ministry and we muck up God's good name, that's a problem. And so he says, we, we spoke to you in a way that did not put any stumbling blocks in front of you. We spoke in a way as to disgrace all disgraceful, underhanded ways. We have chosen to take this message of God and to share it with you in all purity. Because we don't want to be out there misrepresenting God. And so the message of God demands purity from us. It also demands purity from those who are sharing it. And we can read uh, the end of chapter 6, uh, but I'll just read chapter 7, verse 1. He says, Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of the body and the spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of the Lord. He says, This ministry of reconciliation demands from you that you not receive the grace of God in vain. It demands from you purity, purging yourselves, coming out from among the midst of the evil people and choosing to follow God. And so, to summarize this all in the last few minutes, we have this amazing treasure in jars of clay. We'll get to the jars of clay next week, but we have this amazing treasure, this ministry of reconciliation, the gospel at work in us, this gospel to share. And it demands certain things from us. It demands that we share it with boldness. It demands that we have a new perspective on life and the challenges of life. It demands that we have perseverance to press on through these things. It demands proclamation. We can't keep this to ourselves. We have to be sharing it. It demands purity from us and from our audience that the people out there in the world who are receiving this gospel in their lives uh, from us, from God, that God is working through us, we have this treasure. We need to let it change us. We need to let it push us and make us holy like God would have us be. It needs to change the way we look at our lives and to press us to greater things. We have an amazing treasure and it needs to be able to change us. Thank you so much for your time. We'll now be dismissed to class.